Okay, at this time we have uh, two guests from uh, New Hope that are going to come up and be sharing about the ministry. So if you ladies would like to come up, we have a microphone there so you can be heard. What's that? Kathy and Kristen, yes. I guess I will use the mic. <laughs> um, well, let me introduce myself. I'm Kathy German. I'm the new executive director of New Hope, and this is Kristen Lozier, and she's the new director of client services. So we're both new, <laughs> and we're both here with you today, and we're really happy to be here. Um, I want to let you know just a little bit about the history of New Hope. Um, in 1965, so 54 years ago, New Hope was started by a Christian businessman named Clinton Tasker, and it was formed under the name Evangelical Adoption and Family Services, or EAFS is what they, what they called it, and that office was in North Syracuse. And since then, we have done over 1,000 adoptions um, in 54 years, so we've placed 1,000 babies or children in forever homes. Then in 1986, in response to the growing number of abortions and teen pregnancies, some other Christian businessmen got together and they formed New Hope Pregnancy, I have to remember these different names before we merged, New Hope Pregnancy Aid Center, Center, and that was under the umbrella of EAFS. And that office became located at our James Street office where we are now. Um, then in 1992, Evangelical and Adoption and Family Service and the New Hope Pregnancy Center, Pregnancy Aid Center merged. So EAFS moved from North Syracuse to our James Street office, and the name became changed to New Hope Family Services at that point. And then we've been at that office since since then, our current James Street office. And we're unique in that we're not just a pregnancy resource center, but we're also an adoption agency. And most pregnancy centers across the state, across the country, are just pregnancy centers, but we do both. Um, so our adoption agency works with birth parents and adoptive couples from across New York State. Um, we place about eight to 10 babies a year. Um, at one point, years ago when the agency first started, they did a lot of international adoptions, and now we just do infant adoption, um, and again, just throughout New York State. We also have a foster care program called TLC, or Tender Loving Care. So these families are certified through us, through our process, and they provide a safe place for infants, um, newborns, from when they leave the hospital until the whole adoption plan can be worked out. Um, for the birth parents or until the legal work is done. It, they don't always go into our foster program. A lot of times it's a direct placement right from the hospital. But if there's situations where there's legal work that still has to be done, we have families that will take that baby temporarily. Um, and at New Hope, our ministry is 100% um, donations from the community. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we get donations from individuals, from churches, from businesses, from foundations. Um, all of our services are free, except for adoption, of course, for the adoptive um, families. We don't accept any government funding, so we rely 100% on the community. Um, and you may have heard recently, I think your church has been praying for us about our court case right now that's going on in New York State. What happened was um, they came in and did a review of our agency in September and did a full review and then came back at the end of that and said, just gave us a glowing report of how great our services were and what we're providing for the community. And we thought it was over. And then a few days later, we got notification that we needed, they were actually demanding that we change our policy that says we will not place um, babies with same-sex couples. So they said we had to change that policy or we would have to shut down. Um, but we decided to fight back because we wanted to stand on the word of God, and that's what our, you know, that's what our beliefs are. 
So Alliance Defending Freedom is uh, representing us pro bono. They're the ones that represented the baker in Colorado and won that case. So they've been doing fantastic work for us. Um, we had our initial court hearing on February 19th, and at that point the judge had said she was going to give her ruling from the bench, which she didn't. And then she said, well, well I'm going to give you the ruling within a few days. And we still have not heard. That was February 19th, and we still don't know. Um, the attorneys really, I mean, we kind of look at it both ways. It could go either way. Maybe this is good for us. Maybe it's not. We don't really know. So, but New York State has not shut us down. We're still operating. We're still placing babies. We're still working with birth moms. So until they, you know, tell us we can't, we're going to move forward and we're just going to trust God that, that we're going to be able to continue. Um, and so since January, we've had two placements and then we're working currently with two birth moms. So like I said, we're still moving forward. Um, one other thing I want to mention is our flood that we had, um, as you probably know about that too. So let's see, I took over February 25th as executive director. Kristen came in March 4th and then March 21st, we had a flood. So, <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> so what happened was the hot water heater in one of our bathrooms burst overnight and then the pipe was just gushing water all night. So by the time we got in, the whole back section of our offices were under an inch or more of water. So the landlord worked really fast and got people in there and got the water restoration company in there and started to clean out the water. But then they were like, we have to get everything out. We have to cut into all the walls to dry out. So then we assembled a team that week. That was a Thursday. So that Saturday, we had a team of probably 20 volunteers that came and helped us get everything out into a storage pod that we rented that was in the parking lot and in an open um, store, uh, office space in the, in the plaza. So we got everything out. And then in the meantime, they've been drying out the walls, and we've had contractors in there to, to repair those, paint. We had new carpeting put in, new flooring. And then as of Friday, pretty much, I mean, the majority of it is completed. So yesterday we moved back in. And I know there's several of you that are here that came and helped, and we just can't thank you enough for that. We just we couldn't do it without all the volunteers. So we really, really appreciate how this church has just stepped up to pray for us and, you know, volunteer and just really get involved. So we're really, really thankful. So I'm going to let Kristen talk about. Okay. Good morning. I don't know if I can reach this one a little short. Okay. There we go. Um, like Kathy said, my name is Kristen Lozier. I am the new director of client services. I've only been there about two months, as she said. So we've had a lot happen since then. So I've been thrown right in, but it's been really good. So I oversee the pregnancy center. Um, we have another caseworker who works on the adoption side, and then I oversee the pregnancy center. So um, the women who come to our center, we have a, a very diverse population. We see refugees because we're on the north side of Syracuse. So there's a lot of, um, there's a big refugee population. Um, but our main draw is women who, or the main people who come are women who have unplanned pregnancies. So um, when a woman has an unplanned pregnancy, she goes into crisis mode. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to support this child? There's so many reasons that it could be a crisis for her. Um, but we seek to provide resources for these women to empower them to choose life. We see a lot of women who are considering abortion, who are either saying, yes, I'm going to have an abortion, or who might be vulnerable because they have pressure from a boyfriend to abort, or they might not have the resources, and single parenting scares them, or the father says, 
says, oh, you're pregnant, I'm gone. So then she's alone. She might feel like she has to have an abortion. So we offer counseling for them and we talk to them about their other alternatives. We talk to them about parenting and we provide them with resources for that. And also adoption. Um, We also, like Kathy said, have an adoption agency. So if they don't want a parent and don't feel like they can, we offer adoption. But we also want to make sure that they understand the risks of abortion because a lot of women will come in and think that it's an easy fix. They're just going to, you know, terminate the pregnancy, not have to worry about it anymore. And that's kind of what they're told. Those are kind of the lies they're fed. You know, it's a simple medical process and then you'll be done. Um, However, we've spoken to so many women who carry so much grief and um, women who've had abortions are at risk for depression, anxiety, increased substance abuse, things like that. Um, as well as medical complications. There can be a lot of medical complications that they're not informed about. So we try to just help women understand that it's not a quick, easy fix, but it's something they're going to carry with them forever. And then um, we do have a post-abortion ministry as well where we can offer healing to women who have experienced abortion. Um, We have a couple different client advocates who are trained in that, and they can work through a Bible study with the women and just be a support for them because then a lot of women don't tell people about their abortion or they feel shamed. So we want to be a place of healing and ultimately restoration, ultimately so that we can point them to the Lord who does redeem and does heal and does forgive. Um, So that's part of our ministry as well. And then we also provide resources for women who are in poverty and um, lack resources. So we have diapers, wipes, clothing, um, a whole area for women to come in and shop for their babies. It's free, of course, but they can come in and pick out things to help help them parent because a lot of times... um, they want to be a parent, but they don't feel like they can provide a home and, a, and resources for their children. So we try to help them to, and empower them to choose life. Um, we offer pregnancy tests. So a lot of women will come in for pregnancy tests. Many times they've already taken one at home, but they just want confirmation or they want someone to walk through it with them. Um, and those are free, of course. And then we have ultrasounds. We have a nurse who provides first trimester limited ultrasounds, which is right on our in our building. Um, and that's a great that's a great thing for us as well because if they're um, abortion minded and they need to know how far along they are, um, or they just want to make sure it's a viable pregnancy we can refer them for an ultrasound and then once they see that baby even at six weeks they realize wow this isn't a bunch of cells that actually looks like a baby because that's another misconception a lot of people are fed the lie it's not a baby yet it's just a bunch of cells and it only looks like a bunch of cells but I've sat through a lot of ultrasounds and at six weeks even it does not look like you can see the outline so a lot of women then are able to see and make an informed decision for themselves Um, so that's another service we offer and then we have peer counseling. Um, so they'll, the client advocates come in um, every day. They are trained volunteers that go through a nine-week training. Um, and then they meet with the women for pregnancy tests, options counseling. They offer prayer to our clients. Um, at the end of every session, they'll say, hey, do you mind if we pray for you? And nine times out of ten, they say yes, even if they're not religious, even if they don't believe in God because they just you know, they they know that somewhere in the back of their head, I think they know prayer is powerful. And um, often these girls have never had anyone pray for them. So it's great to provide that support for them as well. And then we do community referrals. So we refer to WIC and medical providers and other things like that. And then we have our care corner, which I mentioned with the diapers, wipes, and clothing. And a good, um, good news about that is California Closets is an agency or a company in the area um, that does interior design and 
closet design, I guess. They're coming in and redoing our entire care corner um, all for free. They're donating it for us, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look great. Right now it looks good, but um, it's not super functional. Um, there's just a lot of things we wanted to change, and we're talking about changing. And so when we reached out to California Closets, we are like, sure, we'd love to come in. So that should be done towards the end of June. So, yeah, God makes all things new. Um, the flood brought, flood brought a blessing for sure. Um, yeah, so moving forward, we're hoping to expand by offering more classes and, like, support groups or, um, I guess, moms groups for the girls to get plugged into. Um, we're also hoping to collaborate with more agencies in the area that are providing services for women. Um, so there's some things we'd like to work on. And then as far as vol volunteer opportunities, if people want to get involved, we do have the client advocate training. Like I mentioned, it's a nine-week class, and it is kind of intense. There's a lot of homework and um, a lot of information, as some of you know. Some of you know very well. <laughs> um, but we think we're probably we're going through it right now, and we probably won't offer it again until next spring, but if we had enough people interested, maybe we'd offer it in the fall. And so after you go through the nine-week training, you can meet with women for pregnancy tests and support them with ultrasounds and prenatal education and all that. Um, we also take volunteers for our care corner to help fold clothes and um, just make the care corner look nice. And we have like general office opportunities and also cleaners who come in and clean for us as well. That's a huge blessing. So if you'd like to get involved, please talk to me afterwards. We do have volunteers applications and um, we'd love to have you but yeah thanks again so much for having us it's great to be here with you and thank you again to everyone who came yesterday I worked with several of you and it was great we really couldn't have done it without you it was such a daunting task but then to have you guys come in and help us unload the storage and, and everything was great and a huge blessing so thank you so much for giving up your Saturday thank you I just want to say one more thing sorry so one of the other reasons Kristen and I are here today is to off our baby bottle boomerang campaign and this is something we do every year um, we partner with all the local churches who are willing to participate and so um, generally most churches will start mother's day weekend you can pick up a bottle um, we have about a, um, a bin of them out there and you can fill it with cash with um, change with a check you can also donate online to new hope you just go to our website um, but this is just something that we do every year and it's a great way for families to get involved too to just keep it on your counter at home and let your kids just drop change into it or whatever but it's a, just a great way to teach them the value of life and that's what we're here for so it has a little tag on it it kind of explains um, what the purpose of it is as a fundraiser. And then on the back, if you want a receipt, you just have to fill out your name and address, um, and we'll send you a receipt. So we leave the bottles with you. Well, we're going to leave them with you today. Um, you can pick them up now, and then we generally um, get them back around right after Father's Day weekend. And it's just a great fundraiser for us, and we're excited that this is the first year you guys are partnering with us. We're always looking for new churches. So it's just a simple way um, to have you guys involved. So we're grateful, again, for all your support that already that you guys have done for us. So thank you. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You can tell Madison's already training to be a wife. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just kidding, darling. <laughs> You know, it's great having our friends here from New Hope, and uh, many of you are aware of another organization that is completely contrary to what New Hope's philosophy is, and that's Planned Parenthood. And everything about Planned Parenthood is a lie, including their name, 
because it's not Planned Parenthood. What they do is they try to make it so you don't have to be a parent. And we have to understand that abortion is a holocaust in this country. It's not just a choice. It's a holocaust. It's murder. And so we have to come as believers to a place where we stand strongly enough in our faith that we're willing to support groups like New Hope that are providing an, an alternative opportunity for young women who are found to be pregnant because it is a crisis for them. And it's wonderful to have a place they can go and have help. I remember many years ago, if you forgive me for sharing a, um, a personal story, and this is a long time ago, probably, oh my word, over 40 years ago, maybe 40-some years ago, and I was teaching at the time, and uh, we were covering a chapter on, on uh, as a science teacher, you know, on uh, conception and so forth, and I, there was a young girl who came up after class one day and told me she was pregnant and she was going to be going and having an abortion. And, of course, uh, that's one of the um, absolute... It's just so idiotic the way our nation can be on these kinds of things because uh, a child at 15 can go without parents' permission and have an abortion without her parents even being aware of it. But the nurse can't uh, prescribe an aspirin for the child. But anyway, this young woman came up to me and told me she was going to go have an abortion, and I shared with her my feelings because I was a believer about how sacred life is and so forth. And, and, but you have to be careful because you don't want to you know, destroy the, the young woman's spirit. So she went, and she did have the abortion, and probably for maybe two weeks or so after she had the abortion, she would come up to my uh, desk almost every day and tell me how See, she had the abortion, and I feel great. It's not a problem with me, you know, and I'm moving on with my life and this and that. And then after about two weeks, she walked up and started giving me her usual rhetoric, and all she did is she started crying. She cried, and she cried and cried. That's the results. You have to understand. It's not tissue. Anyone who has a science background understands the law of biogenesis. Life begins at life. The Bible teaches us life begins at conception. It's not a zygote. It's not a, a, a group of tissues. It is a human being with an eternal soul. And the one, um, I, I guess you would say, the one uh, confidence that we can have, the encouragement we can have, is these children that are aborted, they go right to be with the Lord. They go right to be with the Lord. The Scripture makes that clear, that he carries the lambs in his arms. And so thank you, ladies, for the good work you do. Keep it up. And... Uh, We'll help in any way we can. If you'd open your Bibles along with me, we're in Exodus chapter 36, starting with verse 1. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, because your word's truth. And we pray as we break open this portion of Scripture, it would, it would truly speak to our hearts and encourage our souls. And so come by your Holy Spirit and minister your word to our understanding, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, this portion of Scripture is all about giving. And, of course, so often, especially in church, when you mention the word giving, people are thinking, money, you know, I have to get my wallet out. But we have to understand that most often when Scripture is talking about giving, it's the giving of ourselves. And no one gave as much as our Lord, right? He gave of himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so we need to understand that God has called each one of us to be willing to give of ourselves. 
We need to remember that the work of the ministry isn't my responsibility alone. The work of the ministry is your responsibility. My responsibility is to equip you. And the thing we also have to keep in mind is that God has promised us life beyond what we can even imagine. He's promised us life in such abundance. Let me just give you an example. God gave us physical life at conception, established at birth, spiritual life at conversion, eternal life as a result of our conversion, heavenly life, either at death or the rapture of the church, and kingdom life when he establishes his millennial reign on earth. And he also has promised us heavenly life when he establishes the new heaven and the new earth. So you realize that from the very time of our conversion, God has promised us life, 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 life. And that life increases more abundantly as we go on. It's just amazing, the promises of the Lord. And um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, it says this, The thief does not come except, and it's talking about Satan, and, uh, you know, just the world system that we live in, that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God says, I have come that they might, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And uh, as I mentioned, this verse has nothing to do with money. It has to do with giving of ourselves like God gave to us. And so when the Lord calls, we have to understand, and we'll find this in this portion of Scripture, when the Lord calls, he supplies. And we have to realize that if we try to make things happen on our own, we might make things happen, but it's the flesh. And we need to allow everything we do to be simply a blessing of God. Because if he calls, he supplies. So we are picking up in Exodus chapter 36, verses 1 through 7. And Bezael and Aholai uh, and every uh, gifted artesian in whom, now notice this, in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. She'll do according to all the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab. Can you imagine having those names? Hey, Aholiab, come here a minute. Um, in every gifted artesian in whom the heart of the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and to do work. And they received from Moses all the offerings which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service uh, in making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Notice they offered it every morning, first thing in the morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the services of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. And so Moses uh, gave a commandment, and he caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offerings of the sanctuary. And you notice I brought this up last week as well, that he specifically says men and women. We have to understand that Christianity, and even in, in the Old Testament belief system, we realize that God has also set aside women for work of ministry in this sense. 
And uh, it's so easy for us to think, it's, you know, it's a man's world. Well, it might be a man's world, but the whole world is the woman. <laughs> you know, she's the one who, who um, is able to give that undergirding that is necessary. And so God doesn't separate between men and women. You know, Jesus said there's neither male nor female. And so we have to understand that. And the people uh, whom were uh, restrained, and I'm sorry, and the people were restrained from bringing, uh, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Now, the first thing we notice here is Bezael and Aholiab, they not only heeded the call of God, but were instructed and skilled to do the work by God. They not only were called by God, but as I mentioned earlier, he provided all the skill necessary. And as believers, we must not only be open to the voice of the Lord, but also the instruction of the Lord. You know, it's so easy to say, God's called me to do something, and just rush out. But you have to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. You have to be instructed in what God has called you to do. And consider how much time we spend trying to figure things out. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, I've got to figure this out. I've got to find out how to do this. I need to come up with a way. When God wants to supply the knowledge we need, he wants to, to supply all the instruction that is necessary for him to do the work. And so we have to understand that any talent that we have is a gift from God. And we need to thank him for it. And realize that if he calls us, as I've mentioned several times, he's going to supply the talent and the knowledge that we need to do the work of the ministry. <clears throat> Excuse me, in James 1.22 it says, but, he, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So in other words, if you just hear the word of God, say, oh, that sounds good. I know what the Lord wants me to do. I think that's a good thing to do. And yet you don't do it. You're deceiving yourself. And there are none who are so deceived as those who are self-deceived. And so it's important for us to realize when God calls us, we have to be willing to do what he's called us to accomplish. And talking about what we're going to do is not the same thing as doing it. Isn't it easy to talk about what you're going to do and not do it? I know a lot of times, uh, Monday's my day off, and it's the beginning of the week for Vi and I, and we'll sit there, and we, we call it coffee talk. We'll have our coffee first thing in the morning, and we sit there, and we talk about the workout program for that week and the diet that we're going to be on and how strict we're going to be with ourselves. And then we get up and have breakfast. <laughs> anyway, the, the point that I'm, I'm getting at, it's real easy to talk about what you're going to do, but it's quite a different thing to actually do it. The Lord is telling us we need to not only talk about what he has called us to do, but to be willing to go out and do it. And also notice they worked willingly, joyfully, and not grudgingly. And it's for this reason that any of you who have been with us long enough, you realize I never try to coax people into doing anything. Because if I coax you into doing something, it's me, not the Lord. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I can't supply the wisdom that God can. My responsibility at times is to lay out the needs in our fellowship, then it's your responsibility to be open to the Lord, that he might be calling you to do whatever the task might be, and then also to, to supply all the needs and all the wisdom that you need for that work. And um, understand, too, that was interesting here. The people weren't keeping track of what they gave. 
They didn't need a, I mean, we, we do it for tax purposes, but we don't need a statement to know what we give. We're just giving because we want to give. The people weren't keeping track of it. And none of the workers were keeping timesheets. They were just doing the work of the Lord. And how amazing it is that they got to the point where they actually had to ask the people to stop giving. We have more than we need. Don't give any more. I just can't even imagine what it would be like to be a pastor on a Sunday morning to get up here and say, you know, guys, I just want you to know, you've got to listen to me, pay attention. Don't give any more. I mean, we have so much, we don't even know what to do with what's coming our way. You know, stop giving. Um, I've never had to do that. And uh, it would be wonderful maybe, but I've never had to do that. And so we have to realize that these people gave willingly. It wasn't forced. It wasn't something that they were coerced into doing. They gave freely to the work of the ministry. And um, I've found that um, most often when you have pastors to teach a prosperity doctrine, oh, you've got to be rich, A.P. When, when you have pastors preaching a prosperity doctrine, the one they're most concerned about being prosperous is themselves. Because there's nowhere found in Scripture where it teaches that if you're a Christian, you're going to be rich. Did you know, I don't know if you were reading the news this week, but worldwide, and they talked about China and parts of Indonesia and so forth, that the murder of Christians is to the point of near genocide. This is in the secular news. This isn't from some Christian organization. That Christians are being put to death all over the world. And so we have to understand, because we're in the West, where we have a more prosperous lifestyle, it doesn't mean that our focus should be on getting rich. Our focus should be on doing the work of the ministry, doing the work God has called us to do. Now, our giving, of course, as I mentioned, should always be joyful. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this, give till it hurts. Well, according to God's word, if it hurts, don't give. You know, it's not talking about giving sacrificially as the Lord puts it on your heart. But if you're giving, oh, I gotta give. don't give. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And so any giving should be from the heart, not because you feel forced into it. And as we mentioned last week, and again this morning, God loves a cheerful giver. And many of you know that the word there in the Greek that we, get cheer- that we take cheerful from literally means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Oh boy, I can't thanks for I get to give to the Lord. Can you imagine? Well, a lot of you are that way, thankfully. And um, understand that these people were fresh out of slavery. They just came out of Egypt. And yet they had this attitude of giving. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have your heart, not your emotions, stirred to do the work of God. And in our culture, we confuse that. You know, I just want to follow my heart. And you know what we're really saying? I just want to follow my emotions. There's a huge difference because there's a big difference between emotion and what the Lord is telling us to do. And the heart, the cardiac, the inner man, where the Holy Spirit dwells, when you're born again, you're born again of the Spirit. It's from the heart that we serve the Lord, not out of emotion because we're... And and that's one of the reasons I... I try to avoid giving any kind of emotional invitation to people to accept Christ. 
Because you might come to the Lord out of emotion, but then you might also uh, make a wrong choice because you're doing it on emotion rather than from your heart. Um, I love reading historical uh, biographies about great Christians. You guys all know that. And Charles Finney, when he would be preaching, you know, doing evangelistic services, and he felt the people getting all emotional, he would not give a call for people to accept Christ. He dismissed them, and he said, we'll meet 8 o'clock this evening for those that are interested in accepting Christ. And the whole idea was he wanted all emotion to be washed away so that the decisions they made were from the heart. And um, I think about this, too. If we think we give abundantly, consider all that the Lord has done for us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And amen is taken from the word amen, which means so be it. In other words, it's going to be. And how shallow when we attempt to make a verse like this, be about money how shallow he gives us life and he gives it to us abundantly you know vi and i might not have you know all kinds of money but i wouldn't trade our life for anyone else's the life we have in christ is joyful the life we have in christ is full of peace and and you know it's just a the best things in life are not money they're not material possessions it's relationships you know how wonderful it is for Vi and I to be living behind the church and to have our, our darling son. I call him my darling son. Uh, I still do. He's 43 years, 44 years old. Anyway, live over here with their six children. You know, it's like old-fashioned days. You know, the kids come into our house. The little ones walk over and they come in looking for uh, cookies and, you know, that Nana provides and lollipops and all that kind of stuff. It's just a wonderful... Those are the best things in life. It's not material things. Those are the best things in life. And remember, the only reason... This is so interesting. The only reason that the Israelites had the resources to give to the building of the tabernacle is because they plundered the Egyptians. And they didn't plunder the Egyptians in any kind of a violent way. God put it on their heart for the Egyptians to give whatever they asked for. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 36, it says, And the Lord had given the people, talking about the Egyptians, or talking about the Israelites, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. And so the Israelites, when they're getting, uh, getting ready to leave, they'd walk into one of the homes of the Egyptians, and they'd say, Hey, why don't you give us all your gold and silver and all your jewelry? And the Egyptians would say, oh, yeah, sure, here it is. God put it on their heart. It was a supernatural thing. And that is where all this material came from for their being able to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. And I often wonder if the Egyptians, after the Israelites had left Egypt, were thinking, what did we do? I can't believe we did that. And if they knew, these pagan Egyptians knew that this money that was given, these jewelry, this gold, gold, this silver that was being given, all these different colored materials that were being given were going to be for the work of the Lord, for the building of the tabernacle. They probably would really have wondered why they gave. But God is able to work ahead of all things 
and even in providing all the furnishings and materials for the tabernacle. And as I mentioned earlier, everything necessary for the work and worship of the Lord should be done cheerfully and provided by people whose hearts are inclined towards him. Now consider the example and the zeal of our Lord as... uh, Think about this. It's a wonderful thing to get excited about life, right? It really is. And the things that we're doing, it's great to get excited about it. But the thing is, do we get excited about the things of the Lord? We should be more excited about the things of the Lord than anything we do in life. That should be the most exciting thing. And the zeal of the Lord, you know, it talks about John the Baptist, and the zeal of the Lord was upon him. We want the zeal of the Lord to be upon us, where we're excited to do the work of the ministry. It means more to us than anything else we do. Now, we give of our time and resources. Think about this. We give of our time and resources to those things which we think are the most important. Where do we give our time and resources? Where do we? Well, we give to what we perceive as being the most important. A love for God and a desire to see the lost saved should overwhelm us beyond any other desire in our life. The reality is people who are saved are going to heaven. People who are not saved are going to hell. Well, that's very simplistic, you think. Well, that is that simple. You know, he who has, you know, Christ has life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. It's that simple. I mean, read 1 John. And so our responsibility is to just offer the gift of life. We can't force people to be saved, nor should we even try. But we need to lay out the opportunity for people to be saved. And anyone, does it say say someone or some people or maybe? It says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a blessing that is. Excuse me. Because our church was never meant to be a social club or some place we meet to feel good about ourselves, but it's a place that we come to be equipped. In reality, a pastor is a teacher. When it talks about the different gifts that God gave to the church, in the Greek, where it says pastor and teacher, and isn't in there, it's a hyphenated word pastor, teacher. The pastor is meant to be a teacher. <clears throat> which is interesting. That's what I was trained for. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I taught in, in the public uh, schools for 11 years or something like that. Now I've been teaching in the church for uh, 40-some years. But the reality is my responsibility is simply to teach, to equip you for the work of ministry. Now, I should be doing the work of ministry myself. I should be setting the example. But I'm here to equip you. Like when people say, we want you to meet the minister of our church. Well, the word minister means servant, and I hope I am a servant. But the reality is, if I said, I want you to meet the ministers of our church, you should all stand up. You're all ministers of the Word of God. You're all called to do the work of ministry. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, And he himself, I love that, he himself, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. 
You know, one other thing the portion we just read brings out is that um, we shouldn't delay. They didn't delay the work of building the tabernacle. They started right after God called them and gave them the ability. And so often we take too much time thinking about things that we should just do. The construction began as soon as the resources started to flow in. They didn't wait until they had all the resources. You know, sometimes when we're trying to do some job, you, you, you've seen it where you have the, the little thermos, the little uh, thermometer, and down here you have zero, and up here you have whatever the money is needed to do a particular project, and you start filling it in as people give, and when you finally get up there, you do the project. That's not how God works. As soon as the resources started coming in, they started doing the work. Because we have to understand that we need to trust the Lord. Now, faith, think about this. Faith, um, belie- faith is believing that God is beginning something and he will finish whatever it is he begins. That's what true faith is, believing it. Because there's a difference between presumption and faith. One is assuming and the other is knowing. You know, presumption is, I'm just going to do this. Well, maybe you're not supposed to be doing that. It's just, you're just assuming. Where if God says, I want you to do this, you know it. That's where true faith comes in. Now, the Lord doesn't demand beyond what is needed. And ministries that live in abundant luxury, I believe, are in out of keeping with God. Because even when God gifts and calls us, we must wait until the command from him says, go out and do the work of the ministry. Because you can do the right thing at the wrong time. Did you know that? You can do the right thing at the wrong time and it's still wrong. The thing is to do the right thing at the right time. Now, God called and he skilled, but the tabernacle could not be made out of nothing. People had to bring in what was necessary. And they were willing participants in the giving to the building of the tabernacle. And did you know that the tabernacle wasn't huge? Do you realize that? The tabernacle in the wilderness wasn't huge. It wasn't much bigger than our sanctuary here, the holy place and the holy of holies. And then you had, you know, the outside part where they did the sacrifices and so forth. Do you know what the average size church is in the United States? Probably most people... uh, way overestimate this. The average size church in the United States of America is 50 people. That's the average size church. And so we realize that it's not size, but it is who is being worshipped in a particular church, in any particular church, that has the most important meaning. And so as we look at this, we need to understand that um, God is not calling us to be big. He's calling us to do the work of ministry. I find it interesting when we uh, study the churches in the book of Revelation that the two churches that God had no condemnation for, he only encouraged them, were the two smallest churches. And the churches that he had no commendation for, only condemnation for, were the largest churches. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a large church. I'm just making the point that large doesn't make you good and small make you bad. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. Sometimes the small church is the one that the Lord is using most to do the work of ministry. Because it's not what... Do you understand that? When we talk about church, the body of believers that meet at Berean Calvary here, it's not about what's going on in here. It's what's going on out there. 
You follow what I'm saying? If you have people within the church that are being moved by the Holy Spirit, filled by the power of God, and they're going out and sharing their faith, that's what's important. Now, we should always make it our morning work. Remember, they gave their offerings in the morning. It should be our morning offering every morning to praise and worship the Lord. That's how your day should start, praising and worshiping Almighty God. Because um, think about this. Most of us need a spur, right, to uh, quicken us. Not too many of us need a bridle to slow us down, if you think about that. And uh, when we come to a place where we consider our offering to the Lord pure joy and and a privilege to be able to give to the work of the ministry, then our heart's in the right place. And understand what I'm talking about here is much, much more than finances. I'm talking about giving of yourselves. That's the most important thing you can give is of yourself. Because, brothers and sisters, you are the ministers of the church. You are the servants of God, not just me, to go out and share your faith. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word because your word is always true. I thank you for the ladies from New Hope that have uh, joined us this morning and and have shared this most valuable message. I pray that their ministry would, just like in the building of the tabernacle, that they'd be blessed beyond what you can even imagine. They'd have to tell people, hold off, you're giving too much. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And now, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to our heart and spirit's understanding everything that we have looked at this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.